Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time it is, wherever you are tuning in. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. I was trying to get the Instagram started here, but it's not going to work, apparently. So that's fine. <laughs> I can turn that off. So, I'm back on Facebook Live, you may have noticed, and it's really, really wonderful to be here. Sorry for moving the camera around. Jeez. I'm so uh, not used to being on Facebook Live, I guess. Uh, <laughs> it's been a while. Uh, but it's nice to be back, so thank you for joining me. And today I'm launching a four-week series on Facebook Live and hopefully Instagram if I can get that functioning uh, on the topic of equanimity. And the reason for doing this is because uh, six weeks from now, I'm launching uh, an online meditation retreat uh, on the topic of equanimity. It's an eight-week uh, retreat offering. It's called Equanimity, the Clear Seeing Heart. And uh, it launches September 26th, and it runs to November 18th, 2021. Uh, the times are 6 p.m. Pacific Coast time. There's also a Section 2 to cater more for Europe or for people who find the uh, first time a little bit uh, of a hindrance. Uh, and that is uh, launching September 27th to November 18th. Uh, that one's on Mondays and Thursdays at 9 a.m. in the UK. So adjust your, your clocks and calendars accordingly. Uh, the first section is, is on um, Sunday evenings and Thursday evenings. Uh, in the U.S., Mondays and Fridays here in Asia, where I am in Thailand. So before I get into the topic of the day, equanimity, I'd like to do just a little bit of a guided meditation, maybe five to seven minutes, just as a kind of way of setting the stage here, uh, just a way of arriving into the present moment. So. Uh, you're welcome to join me in this very brief guided meditation. We'll just touch in with the breath and perhaps some of the sensations of the body. And then we'll move into this really, really um, delicate and fascinating uh, conversation on equanimity. And so the invitation here is just to arrive into this present moment. Perhaps noticing how the body feels in whatever posture you're taking, whether you're seated or lying down or standing. Just coming into the felt sense of the body as much as possible Perhaps noticing the feet against the ground or the floor, the weight of the body against the cushion or chair or mat. Perhaps noticing the sensations of clothing against the back and the shoulders. You might notice 
the sensations arising from the hands. If the hands are touching each other or resting against the body. There may be sensations arising from the cheeks of the face and the top of the head. And whatever sensations are arising throughout the body, you might pose the question, can I rest with this? Can I rest here in this present moment experience? And so the answer to that question might be, yes, I can rest here. It's, there might be a little bit of discomfort, an itch or a tingle, but I can rest in that. Or the answer might be no. <clears throat> Perhaps there's a, an ache in the body that needs to be addressed, and you're welcome to move to adjust the body accordingly. The idea of the question is to guide your awareness into a state of rest. Can I rest with this? And while we're finding our way into that restful, peaceful state. You might also notice the sounds within the present moment. Notice how each sound can be an, an usher or an anchor back into the present moment experience. Sounds are always right now. And if you wish, you could take a nice, long, nourishing, deep breath. And the experience of the breath is also always a present moment experience. Can I rest with this? And so in the next breath or two, we'll begin to move away from the meditation practice and back into a conversational space. And I'll cue that by ringing the bell three times.
So thank you for joining me in that very brief guided meditation, just again as a way of setting the table for today's offering for this Dharma talk on equanimity. Now before I did the guided meditation, I mentioned that I'm offering an online meditation retreat on the topic of equanimity, and it's really the the thrust behind this uh, four-week Facebook Live uh, offering here, kind of a way of leading into that. So I often get some questions in regards to the online retreat, so I wanted to go ahead and address those now. Um, sometimes people are hesitant to sign up because of the, the schedule. They feel like they can't make some of them or or many of the sessions, maybe they're working at that time, or, or whatever the reason is, their schedule doesn't permit them to attend the live uh, sessions, and that's fine. All of the sessions are recorded on Zoom and will be made available to all of the retreat participants. So I do have people sign up for these programs who don't make any of the live sessions, and they do the whole course at their own pace and their own time, and you're welcome to do that. Uh, equal to that, uh, you might feel like you need to miss a few of the sessions or maybe more than half of the sessions, and that's fine too. Again, the sessions are recorded and you'll have them. I, I try to get them out as soon as possible, usually one or two hours after uh, the session they are available. And so one can keep up uh, with the program at their own pace. And then uh, if they miss one, they can you're welcome to attend the next session after that or whenever it's uh, whenever it suits your schedule to attend the live sessions. Okay, that being said, let's try here to move into equanimity. So I often get the question here, well, what, what is equanimity, right? It's kind of this foreign word that you, you don't really hear very often in, in our conversations, right? It's kind of a word that only meditation teachers and students ever use, equanimity. So what is that? Well, equanimity in the way I'm seeing it, the way I've come to understand it, is the ability to see things as they are, as they arise. Experiencing life beyond our likes and dislikes beyond our preferences, beyond our opinions and prejudices, really cultivating the skill of living a life beyond our cultural conditioning, beyond our, the conditioning that was given to us by our education, by our upbringing, through our parents, through our culture and society and so forth. Now, it isn't that those aspects of our life cease to exist. It's just that we, we gradually, through practice, stop taking our cultural conditioning, our likes and dislikes, our preferences, we stop taking them so seriously. We recognize that that's just a, a, a function of our mind, but it's optional. That just because we see a work of art for example, that we don't like, it doesn't mean that that's bad art. <laughs> that's just kind of a, a very simple example of, of equanimity. So we, we kind of separate 
the actual experience from our opinions, our preferences and prejudices about that experience. We start to see them as two different arisings. Free from the fetters of the past and the future, our hearts open to meet what is arising in the present moment as it arises. And that's really equanimity. And so there are many ways of practicing equanimity. And I'll, over the four-week Facebook sessions, I'll outline a few of those practices. We might do some, some guided meditating. I'm not sure yet, depending on time. I tend to try to save the practices for the retreats. Uh, so if you find the practices intriguing, yeah, see about registering for one of the retreats. Uh, check out my Facebook page for some information on registering, or you can send me a message if you want to sign up for the retreat and we'll get you signed up. So one of the ways of meditating with equanimity is we use phrases. And if you've done loving kindness practice before or, or compassion or meditations on joy, uh, we often use these phrases that embody the quality that we're practicing. And we offer those phrases uh, gently into our heart. And the idea is to, to really allow the implication of each phrase into the heart and we try to really imagine or visualize our life unfolding according to the implications of each phrase. And so I'll just here walk through the four phrases of equanimity that I'll be offering. Uh, there'll be other phrases as well. I don't limit it to these four, but these are really the, the four primary uh, practice phrases uh, that I'll be using on the retreat. And they are as follows. May I be free from preference and prejudice. May I know things just as they are. May I experience the world knowing me just as I am. May I see into whatever arises. And so that's where we start. And we, we offer those phrases really to our own heart, practicing experiencing ourselves through the eyes of non-judgment. Practicing knowing ourselves through this clear-seeing heart of equanimity. And then experiencing the world knowing us in that way, experiencing the world seeing us through that clear-seeing heart of non-judgment. It was the great sage Krishnamurti who once made the very astute observation the ability to experience oneself through the eyes of non-judgment is the highest form of intelligence. And that's really, really powerful, 
right? If you just let that land for a moment. Because in a very real way, we create, reinforce, and solidify our sense of who we are, our sense of who we think we are, based on how we imagine other people see us, experience us, and know us. Right? We, we create this ego, that persona, and that sense of I, that ego, that persona, with the practice of equanimity starts to loosen, starts to crumble and break down. And we then come to know and experience ourselves in a much more authentic way. We come to rest in a more authentic sense of self. Now, there's an incredible amount of freedom to be found in that type of knowing, that type of equanimous experience. And so I often get a question here <laughs> when I'm speaking about equanimity, about what, what about standing up for what I feel is right? What about standing up for social justice? You know, when we look out in, into the world, or we turn on the news or read the newspaper, and we see this world that's filled with injustice, that's filled with uh, not an equal playing field, that's filled with harm, and sadness and inequality. How do we practice equanimity in the midst of that? And so it's worth mentioning here that equanimity, uh, equanimity is not indifference. In fact, indifference is said to be the, the enemy of equanimity because they kind of feel very similar in a way. When we're indifferent, we're, we're kind of, you know, it can appear like we're equanimous because we have this kind of, you know, very composed stance moving about the world. But the difference is when we're indifferent, nothing touches us. We have this coldness. The, the, the compassion doesn't reach our heart. We don't tremble in the face of injustice when we're indifferent. Equanimity allows us to embrace the struggles of others. It allows for that, that boundless compassion. And it also allows for that boundless joy. So with equanimity, we experience what's arising we experience the, the social injustice. We experience the, the violence that might be occurring, unfolding. We experience the, the suffering of the world. And we experience our reaction to that, but we recognize that the reaction is not inherent in the suffering. 
And so we can hold the reaction. We can hold our wish for things to be different in compassion and move forward to help address the injustice of the world. In fact, equanimity gives us the power to move forward to address that injustice without falling into habitual reactivity. We, we're not moving forward to address our reactivity, we're moving forward to address the actual situation at hand. And equanimity gives us the space and the clarity of mind and the clarity of heart to know the difference. And so I often like to use the example here, and this actually happened to me very clearly uh, when I was really engaged in practice of equanimity. And I, I think it's, it's quite accessible uh, to do this for people you know, who aren't so uh, deeply involved in a practice. This is kind of an informal practice, uh, something you could do in the next week if you find this accessible. Uh, so I was at, at a museum, an art museum, actually the, the Hermitage in, in St. Petersburg in Russia. Um, but it could be any museum. It doesn't have to be the, the Hermitage. It can be any museum, anywhere there's a work of art. And if you, you, you know, if you're in a situation where you can't get to a museum, most museums have virtual exhibits online now. So you can just open your computer and and uh, Google your favorite museum or your favorite artist. So the idea is to get in front of a piece of art. And for me, some of my favorites uh, is to, to use a Rembrandt or Van Gogh or, or Salvador Dali works really great for this exercise. Uh, if you like more modern art, I, I'm really a fan of Alex Gray. He's got some really beautiful, very evocative art. Uh, so, looking at that piece of art and, and seeing the artwork with clear eyes and then seeing your reaction to that piece of artwork. Because art is, art is explicitly created to bring forth a reaction in its viewer, right? Most good artwork has that quality. And so, see if you can distinguish the difference between what you're seeing on canvas or if you're on the computer on, on your screen, see if you can distinguish the difference between what you're seeing actually with your eyes, the color, the lines, the texture, the brushstroke, if it's paint, seeing the actual piece of art and holding your reaction to that, holding your preferences, your prejudices, you're holding your experience as a separate occurrence to the viewing of the art. And so you can kind of go back and forth with that and say, okay, now I'm seeing the artwork, you know, in a relaxed state with all of my preferences, all of my projections put on that piece of art. And then let me see if I can see it without that. Recognizing that all of that is, is me projected outward on that piece of artwork. 
And so then peeling all of that projection back to see the artwork clear. And you can kind of go back and forth with that. That's, that's one way of getting a feel uh, for what equanimity might feel like. We start to see the artwork free from our preferences, our likes and dislikes, just to see it as a pure work of art like that. And so another benefit of cultivating the practices of equanimity is we begin to cultivate a way of being in the world. A way of being in the world free from preference and prejudice. And in turn, this allows us to fully experience our life and the world we inhabit. We no longer resist our experience of life. We no longer carry this tension between what life is presenting and what we wish life was presenting. Again, it goes back to that piece of art, right? Well, we, we see all of life as that pure piece of art. We are also that an aspect of that piece of artwork, and I'll get into that in a later talk. And so we put aside what we wish was happening. We put aside what we think ought to be happening for the, just for the moment. We, we can see, we, we know it's there. We can always re-inhabit that. We can always allow what we think ought to be happening to inform us moving forward but we recognize that that's not actually sewn into the landscape of the world. We recognize that that's just a feature of our self projected outward. And so this allows for this, it allows for this space to, to really be there in our heart, in our mind, where the emotional reactivity, the craving, the desire for the present moment to be different, and the quote-unquote need for the present moment to be providing something that it isn't, that can arise and we just say, oh, there you are, there's that reactivity again, and then it ceases like that. And so there are, again, other practices that we'll be engaging in this eight-week course that allows for that arising of the reactivity and the cessation of that reactivity that I'm not going to get into today. That's, that is a natural aspect of this equanimity practice, this offering these phrases to our heart. We naturally begin to experience what I like to call a resistance this reactivity arises. You, can, you might be able to see it now. So just offering the phrase, may I be free from preference and prejudice. And you, you try to visualize or imagine your life completely free 
from harboring any preference or prejudice at all. And so perhaps the mind immediately jumps to, oh, that's impossible. How can anyone live life like that, right? How could that ever happen? That's not realistic. All of that thought pattern, that's all reactivity. That's all our resistances. And so the, the benefit of creating a space, space like the one we might create in a meditation practice, creating that space for that reactivity, for that resistance to arise, is we get to know how we resist habitually to our very, very natural qualities of equanimity. We start to be able to see and experience how we push equanimity away, how we close down to it. And it, it's just in that seeing. It's just in that getting to know our resistances in an intimate way. That process starts to allow the resistances to dissolve. And they start to dissolve simply because equanimity just feels better. When, we're, when our heart is equanimous, when we're inhabiting a space of non-judgment, our heart is open and spacious and free. When we're caught in reactivity, when we're caught in judging, when we're caught in the it should be this way, it can't be that way, our heart is closed and constricted and tight. Our world becomes very limited. And so by cultivating that space in a meditation practice and offering equanimity to our own heart, we cultivate that space so we can, we can experience the difference. We might fluctuate and, and, and modulate back and forth. The heart is wide open. Ah, right. Amazing to know a life just as it arises. And then the mind, oh, that's impossible. Can't ever happen. Won't ever happen for me. Can't live like closing, closing, closing. May I be free from preference and prejudice. We open. The heart just opens again. Right, how wonderful. And, we, and that's a practice, can, can go back and forth, modulating back and forth, closing the heart in resistance, opening, opening like that. And that's normal, that's natural. It might feel not great. <laughs> Often when we come to a practice of, of equanimity, we think that as soon as the bell rings and we offer these phrases to our heart, we're we're gonna be completely equanimous. But it very rarely works that way. And in fact, part of the benefit of the practice is, again, that we get to know those resistances, that we get to feel them, become intimate with them. And so over the course of days, weeks, months, and years of checking in with equanimity, of practicing our intention to be more equanimous, over however long it takes, it doesn't matter how long, but eventually, you know, drop by drop, we fill that bucket. And so over 
days, weeks, months, and years, we start to grow what I, I like to call it the sapling in the heart. Our sapling in the heart starts to grow towards the sunlight of equanimity. And our way of being in the world just, you know, could be quite gradual and, and subtle. But our way of being in the world becomes more equanimous. We just start to relate to our life free from preference and prejudice. We start to relate to other people as they are. We set them free from our preferences. We set our loved ones, people we don't know, people we might not like very much, and eventually we set the entire world, our entire world of experience, we set it all free. It's free to be exactly what it needs to be in each and every moment. And that's the real radical benefit of the practice of equanimity. This, this radical taste of freedom. Hmm. If you haven't noticed, I really love the practices of equanimity. <laughs> I consider them to be really, um, they're so, so deep to my heart. Uh, so I think I'm going to close here. I actually have another appointment coming up very shortly, so I need to make this a brief talk. It's about, a, about almost 40 minutes or so. So I hope you all enjoyed this entry talk, <laughs> the, the first of four of this series of four Facebook Live and Instagram Live talks on the practices, the qualities, the Brahma Vihara known as equanimity. In Pali, it's, uh, it is Upeka, which means equanimity. So I hope this was uh, enlightening, eye-opening, informative, at least entertaining in some level. Uh, and if you do find it interesting, please do uh, visit the website suchsweetthunder.org or just message me if you have any questions or comments. If you'd like to sign up for the eight-week online retreat on equanimity, uh, there are spaces available for both sections. Uh, so don't hesitate, they are filling up fast. And uh, I will be back this same time a week from today, a week from right now, I'll be back doing another deep dive into the topic of equanimity. So wherever you are, have a great evening or a great day, and I'll ring the bell to close out the session and make it official.